Welcome to HII Talking Points, a Huntington Ingalls Industries podcast. Twice a quarter, we'll sit down with HII leaders to discuss topics of interest in our company and industry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to HII Talking Points. I'm Phoebe Richards, and today I'm talking with HII President and CEO Mike Petters. Mr. Petters, as always, thanks for joining. Well, Phoebe, thanks for thanks for having me, and good to see you again. Mm-hmm. So we have a hot topic to talk about today, constructive failure. When people hear the phrase constructive failure, their minds could go in different directions. Some people might focus on the word failure and cringe, while others focus on the constructive part of the phrase and the positivity it can bring. So today I want to talk about what constructive failure means to you and how you see it shaping the business. So let's get started at the beginning. The phrase constructive failure has been used in different circles, but how do you define it? I think uh, I understand why folks find this to be challenging. Um, You know, most of the time we like to think the things that we're doing are right and correct and, you know, if things don't go well, we actually try to rationalize it not as failure, but as an opportunity to learn something. Um, we have this in our culture. We have uh, not just our culture, but in a, in a lot of businesses, the culture is uh, from a career standpoint, you can't afford to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing to me is that when I talk to folks who have become very senior leaders in organizations and well-respected, there's a long list of mistakes that they made and that they learned from. And so part of the challenge around the phrase constructive failure, I like the phrase because it is really an intentional harvesting of those ideas that can help us to be better. It aligns with our view of achieve our full potential, mm-hmm. you know, achieve your potential. Um, on any given day, you can look back and say, you know what, there were like 10 things that went right, but maybe I could have done that better. Um, that's a little bit of the mindset here around constructive failure is let's go harvest those things. Even on good days, we can think of those things that didn't go well and we can, and we can um, harvest from them the ideas and processes that will help us be better. So you've told HII leaders to look for ways to learn from their constructive failures. Do you have a professional example you'd like to share? Um, you know, a couple of different things have happened in my career where uh, – things didn't go, you know, we kind of, things didn't go all that well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you step back and look at it and say, okay, how can I do that better to make sure that doesn't happen again? Uh, you know, I had a, I had an opportunity early in my career. We were, we were doing some uh, welding of some seawater pipe and it was a new material in the submarine and it was a new process for welding. And, and my supervisor, I was a construction supervisor and I had a, working for a superintendent who had 40 years of pipe experience mm-hmm. in the shipyard. Um, when I told him what we were going to do, how we were going to try to solve this first of a kind problem, um, instead of stepping into it and saying, I don't think that's going to work or you should do this. I mean, he was coaching, but he also gave us a lot of room for us to go and uh, um, attempt it. And, you know, Long story short, we worked on it for about a week and it didn't work. Our, our strategy and our approach did not work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my team and I kind of recollected and regrouped with him. And his first question was, what did you learn from that? And then the next question was, okay, so now that you've learned that, now what is your strategy and what's your plan going to be? And, you know, I look back on that team and, uh, 
you know, the, the, the handful of folks that were involved in that all went on to become very senior leaders in shipbuilding. And I think it's that, that little bit of a willingness to let's go try that. Um, you know, I, I know the superintendent had enough experience where he could have actually stepped in and said, stop, that's not going to work. We wouldn't have learned as much as if, if he had done that. And, you know, he may not have been right because it was a new material and a new process. Um, I think we do this as a business. We kind of do this in when we're executing learning curves on ships. You know, we, we're doing serial production. We go through phases and we we see better ways and we change our processes and we and we drive it out. And so I think there's sort of a natural that that's constructive failure, even though executing a serial production line doesn't necessarily you don't use the word failure with that. But executing and prosecuting the learning curves is actually a form of constructive failure. I know that the team at Ingalls several years ago, we, we went into a competition where um, the Navy asked us to compete on three destroyers and with Bath. And, and it was the first competition after Katrina, but it was actually the first competition at Ingalls in about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went through that. We, you know, we had put a lot of things in place that we were pretty proud of and that we thought were going to pay off for us. Uh, we, we put all that together into the proposal and we lost. I mean, and it, it really wasn't that close. Mm. And the value of that competition was we haven't lost since. The value of that competition was that we now had a benchmark where we could say, okay, that's where that's where the gaps are. This is this is what we thought this meant to us. It didn't mean as much as we thought, or we have to go find out way find ways to make it mean more. But you know, the team did that and hasn't hasn't lost a destroyer competition since then. So actually, your your point about serial production leads me into my next question. So in our industry, I feel like a lot of lessons learned are about avoiding major errors the next time you complete a project. So we'll look back and try to collect nuggets of insight and apply them to the next time we do a project. But in your opinion, does constructive failure go beyond just retracing our steps? Yeah, if we get this right, um, you know, we have lo- we have lots of daily success in our business. And uh, whether it's, whether it's, you know, a ship leaving on on uh, sea trials, or for delivery, or commissioning, or even just getting the tank completed by Friday, all of those things are are successful moments that our teams, from the from the the apprentice mechanics all the way to the senior uh, leaders in the company, we take a lot of great pride in that. But if we get constructive failure right, we will still celebrate the success of one of those victories, but then step back and say, okay, what could we have done to make it even better? Mm-hmm. You know, um, we got the ship launched on time, but man, the last three weeks were, were just a blur. And we had a whole lot of folks doing heroic things to get that out. And we were, we were kind of a, you know, a little bit of a firefighter mode to meet the milestone, whatever it was. And guess what? We did it. High fives for everybody. We feel mm-hmm. really good about that. Okay, take a breath. Now, how could we have done this a year ago in a way that would have kept us from having to call in all the firefighters and just let us do it with the fire preventers? That would be, I think, a sign that the company is getting its head around um, this harvesting of ideas and, and looking for failure as an opportunity to harvest good ideas and make the business better. 
So I, I think people are afraid of failure partly because they're afraid of the repercussions, both for the company and for them personally. So how do you separate blame and punishment from failure? Well, I think uh, I'm reminded of a, of a um, comment I heard from a baseball manager who's, um, he had a runner that was uh, hit a ball in the gap and was trying to get to second base. And um, he got thrown out at second base. And, of course, uh, as we are now getting used to, uh, it happened to be right before the uh, interview inning where he had, to, he had a microphone stuck in his face and said, so what did you think about that? Was That was a big mistake. You know, that was a tying run getting thrown out at second base. And he says, you know, he said, um, we're an aggressive team and we have a lot of physical ability. And if our team makes physical mistakes, I'm okay with that. It's when they make mental mistakes that I get really frustrated, like throwing to the wrong base or mm. getting caught off base in a pickoff play or something like that. He says, I, I, don't, have a lot of, I don't have a lot of room for that, um, but I have a lot of room for people being aggressive and trying to uh, take advantage of their abilities. And, you know, sometimes you're, you're going to just have to take the consequences of that. There are clearly parts of our business where we cannot fail. Uh, and the people that are in those parts of that of our business that that are there, they know that, and they have the culture set up and established to make sure uh, that we are not going to fail in those spaces. And they are harvesting all of those ideas to lower the risk and consequence of that failure. Uh, but that's not the whole business; that's just pieces of our business. And there's there's a larger piece of our business that we can transform uh, if we can get comfortable with. Uh, taking advantage of our skills and our aggressiveness and our, and our talent and recognize that, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes the talent's going to give you an opportunity to take a chance that may not work out, but if you didn't have the talent in the first place, you wouldn't have tried it. Right. So I think leaders are going to have to be really clear about how they do that. I, back to my baseball analogy, you know, sometimes they give an error to a shortstop who gets to a ball that only two shortstops in the league can get to. Because he's only he's one of two shortstops that has the range to get to the ball and then can't make the throw. The other 30 shortstops don't even make the play. So I'd much rather have the player get to the ball, you know, stretching their ability, stretching their talent, uh, squeezing as much capability out of themselves and their teams as they possibly can. Um, because I think that for the most time, most of the times, those two shortstops are head and shoulders above everybody else, and they're performing better than everybody else. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we just have to recognize that's what comes with stretching your teams. Right. Well, and thinking back to your own submarine example, it sounds like that superintendent was open to giving you the leeway. And so you as an employee had that openness and the superintendent had that as well. So yeah, I, mean, I think it was, uh, that's a good point. I think that was about the team. I mean, mm-hmm. as I said, the, the, most of the folks that were actually involved in that process from the foreman and general foreman level at that point in my career, uh, that was a really solid team that they went on to uh, more senior positions in the company. So in the past, we've talked about the notion that HII is risk averse, and you've pushed back on that view. Uh, How can constructive failure play a role at HII, knowing the nature of our business? And like you mentioned, there are some elements that we cannot fail in. Yeah, I heard a story from uh, Alan Mulally one night at dinner when he left Boeing and he went to Ford. And he took 
with him some of the same sort of processes that we have in running programs mm-hmm. where uh, he had a process at Boeing where he used um, uh, stoplight charts for, for processes, red, yellow, green. Mm-hmm. And when, he got to, when he got to Ford, he kind of implemented this, and every Thursday he would have his big program meeting with all of the folks from all over the world. They would either call in uh, or conference in or be in, in, be in the meeting. And he said it was about six weeks of green dots on PowerPoint slides before he saw his first yellow dot. And when he turned the page and he saw the yellow dot, and it had to do with uh, the startup of a production line in Brazil or someplace, mm-hmm. when, he, when he saw that yellow dot, he started clapping. And what he told, there were, there were about six of us at this dinner that night, and what he told us was, he said, I had to let them know that it was okay to put yellow on the page. Right. Now, now I, don't think, I don't think we have that problem. I think, we're, I think we're actually pretty honest with ourselves in terms of statusing the programs and where they are. But I'm not sure that we're always aggressive in saying, okay, this is where we are. Um, we're in a good place without the f- piece of it that says, you know, but if these other seven things had gone right, we could be even in a better place. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the part that I'm pushing on. I'm not pushing on the red, yellow, green stuff so much, but I do think it's a cultural, it's a cultural language. You have to be comfortable with, um, you know, that instead of everybody's a hero, we have heroes here every day, but instead of everybody's a hero, there's a question of what's the expectation for the work and how do we, cr- how do we make an environment where it's safe to say, yeah, we got it. We got it done on time. But boy, we wouldn't have had to work so hard in the last two weeks if we had done these things six months ago. Right. You know, um, and I think that if we can if we can start to think about our projects in that light, uh, I think that w- what we'll find is that there's a whole hidden opportunity of value creation in the business, um, both value creation for the products that we have. But also you'll be able to we'll be developing more sophisticated and more uh, mature cultural leaders in the organization. Mm-hmm. So be a little introspective. Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be, you know, it's, it's a, it's a slow change. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start it from the top of the business, but, uh, you know, I'm excited about where things are going and across the business. And I think that this is a piece that if we can just raise our game on this a little bit, we'll be able to create a lot more value. Well, it sounds like we have our marching orders. Mr. Petters, as always, thank you for your thoughts today, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Thanks for listening to HII Talking Points. This podcast was produced by Huntington Ingalls Industries Corporate Communications Team. We welcome your feedback and ideas for future podcasts at www.huntingtoningles.com slash podcast.